Hello everyone and once again I wish you a very very warm welcome back to our podcast. I am Rika and this is a podcast of Promote Ukraine called Ukraine Up to Date. We bring out this podcast every week most of the time on Mondays and yeah we put together the most interesting and relevant and important topics and events about Ukraine and talk a little bit about it. So as usual in case you want to stay on top of things that are happening in and around Ukraine don't worry, we keep you up to date. Today, however, uh, I decided to switch things up a little bit. I want to talk about three original stories or commentaries that I found on the Promote Ukraine website and that I think are very interesting and especially important to talk about. So if you want to have more information, you are, of course, always welcome to go to promoteukraine.org and read more articles as well. But without further ado, let's get started. So the first story of this week is a very painful one, but it is important to talk about it because it gives a human face to all the horrible things happening during the war in Ukraine. So Vladislav, aged 27, was injured in January 2015 when he went to a store in his hometown of Khorlivka. Fighting was ongoing in the town and a shell dropped 100 meters from him. Since then, Vladislav has been living with two fragments in his body. However, he cannot count on the status of a person with a disability caused by war because of imperfect legislation. So it was analyzed why this happened and whether the situation can be changed. Margarita and Vladislav, and I have to say the names are changed at the request of the heroes, used to live in Horlivka in Donetsk region. They had their own housing and job and were waiting for the birth of a child. However, the events of January 2015 changed their lives forever. As uh, Margarita recalls, and I quote, On that day, Vladislav went to a grocery store and a shell hit the ground 100 meters from him. So the following is maybe not for weak stomachs, just as a trigger warning. <laughs> well, there was yet another shelling as well. At the same time, two men were passing by. One of them was immediately beheaded and another one got his stomach ripped open. Vladislav was covered with a burst wave and thrown inside the store. He was wounded and heard nothing. For a few seconds, already wounded, the man regained consciousness, saw a woman lying next to him and covered her face with his jacket. In an instant, the entire glass window was broken by the burst wave and fell on her. And uh, Margarita also says that the jacket was made of genuine leather, so it was a thick warm winter jacket and it actually saved this woman's life. When the shelling ended, Vladislav got up and went home. The neighbors saw that his legs were torn in blood and he took off his shoelaces and tied Vladislav's legs. In a surgery unit, fragments were removed and he was sewed up and <laughs> there was no painkiller. Also, uh, Margarita says that when the weather changes, the fragment presses on the head and it's just this unbearable pain. And she also says, um, where she quotes doctors as saying, another fragment remained in Vladislav's chest. It ha has moved to the cardiac aorta over the past six years, and it is unknown where it may move further. 
So for a long time, the couple collected all the documents to obtain the status of a person with disability caused by war. However, in April 2019, the Interdepartment Commission examined Vladislav's application and rejected it. The fact is that the man was wounded at a time when there was no precise definition of the territories not controlled by the government of Ukraine. Therefore, all civilians who were wounded in the uncontrolled territories before the 1st of December 2014, as well as those who were wounded from the 1st of December 2014 to the 5th of May 2015, are not entitled to receive the status of a person with disability caused by war. Unbelievable. Well, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights estimates that between seven and 9,000 civilians were injured in the conflict in eastern Ukraine in the period from the 14th of April 2014 to the 15th of February 2020. Most of these people continue to live in places where fighting has taken place or continues to take place. Some of them have the status of a person with disability caused by a general illness and receive social assistance. Since 2018, when the amendments to the law of Ukraine um, yeah, called on the status of war veterans, guarantees of their social protection came into force, the status of a person with disability caused by war has been granted to civilians. According to the Ministry for Veterans Affairs of Ukraine, only 184 people have managed to obtain the status since then. Lenur Kerimov, the Director of International Programs at the Helsinki Foundation for Human Rights in Warsaw, conducted a monitoring study on the right to social protection of civilians wounded in Donbass over the year. He considers it a discriminatory practice that civilians like Vladislav cannot receive the status of a person with a disability caused by war. The Ministry for Veteran Affairs of Ukraine confirmed that, in accordance with the legislation, persons who were wounded in the territory not controlled by the government of Ukraine after the 1st of December 2014 are denied by the Commission's decision. There are currently 12 such denials. Another reason for refusing to establish the fact of receiving wounds caused by explosives, ammunition and military weapons in the territory of the anti-terrorist operation slash joint forces operation is an incomplete package of documents that people submit to the commission. Of course, they have an opportunity to collect the papers missing, but if time passes and a person does not provide them, they are denied. According to Lenur Karimov, the procedure for obtaining the status of a person with a disability caused by war is generally incomprehensible to an average citizen. There is no coordination between the various government agencies that provide documents to establish the fact of receiving wounds caused by explosives, ammunition and military weapons in the territory of the anti-terrorist operation slash joint forces operation. According to Tatyana Hancharova, the chief physician of the Regional Center of Medical and Social Expert Commission in the Donetsk region, the commission is carrying out explanatory work on the procedure for obtaining disability status for people who apply for help. To quote uh, Hancharova, all people who received gunshot wounds already have a disability group and need to be re-registered to obtain the status. We inform about the procedure for granting the status of a person with disability caused by war. And she also added that the medical and social expert commission that in
And she also added that the Medical and Social Expert Commission in the Donetsk region received no appeals with a request to explain the procedure for disability registration over the past six months. Kerimov believes that the law of Ukraine on the status of war veterans, guarantees of their social protection, should be amended to eliminate discriminatory provisions against persons injured after the 1st of December 2014 in the uncontrolled territory, as well as persons injured in the period from the 1st of December 2014 to the 5th of May 2015. This can be done without a radical change in the social assistance system in Ukraine. And uh, Kirimov says that the state is obliged to take care of all its citizens who have suffered from the armed aggression of a foreign state or illegal terrorist groups. The state is responsible to its citizens for the negative consequences of external armed aggression. The draft law number 1115 on the status and social protection of civilians affected by combat operations or armed conflicts clearly defines this category of civilians with social guarantees, social benefits and medical treatment. The Ministry for Veteran Affairs notes that this bill needs to be finalized. So Ruslan Kuchuk, the Deputy Director of Social Protection Directorate, says that uh, we are interested and ready to work in this direction for the injured civilians to receive the appropriate status and package of social protection services. And uh, he also added that the implementation and further funding of the bill number 1115 depends also on the Ministry of Finance, the Ministry of Reintegration of Temporarily Occupied Territories, and the Ministry of Social Policy. Until changes to the law are passed or a new law is adopted, the only way out for Vladislav and people like him is to stand up for their rights in court. And I also have to note that at the time of this publication, it became known that the Kyiv District Administrative Court has considered Vladislav's case and upheld the claim in full, namely found the decision of the Interdepartmental Commission illegal and ordered the commission to reconsider the application to recognize the wound. This is the first court decision in Ukraine that can set a precedent for future cases. Well, this uh, piece of work was made by Natalia Alabieva, who is the project consultant at the OSC Office for Democratic Institutions and Human Rights. So once again, if you want to read the article yourself, you can find it on promoteukraine.org. So the next piece is by Ina Krupnik and is called Uncovered Agents of Covered Wars. So the Kremlin's information wars occupy a special place in the Putin era among all the hacker attacks, contract poisonings, terrorism, digital asset grabbing, financial support for left-wing radical movement and political marginals and so on and so forth. The list is very long. Behind Russia's multi-billion dollar promotion of Russia in the Western world is nothing more than the creation of deceitful media outlets and NGOs that misinform, disseminate fakes and propagate separatism. Today, we are talking about such a propaganda center as Global Rights of Peaceful People, or just in short, GRPP, an international platform that is registered as a non-governmental organization in six European countries, namely Italy, Spain, the Netherlands, Ireland, the Czech Republic, and Germany. 
The platform was created immediately after the events of the Maidan, but was most active actually in 2019 till 2020. The organization has no official website in the countries where it operates, and information about the organization and social media is also scarce. There are also no reports on sources of financing. The Russian embassies in the countries of registration are the most profitable source of their propaganda campaigns, speeches, and videos. GRPP was established at the Hungarian Left Forum on Horani Island in 2014. The declared lofty goals were the following. I quote, support for the civilians of Donbass and Odessa in their struggle against the Ukrainian government. So to translate support for separatists. Then we have destruction of the information blockade on the real state of affairs in Ukraine, which basically means spread of false stories and propaganda. And then peaceful substitution of anti-national power in Ukraine for the rule of left forces, meaning pro-Russian leftist campaign. Serhii Marchel from Odessa, he was actively funded by the Russians and toured Europe with stories about his unproved participation in the bloody events in Odessa, was elected as the platform coordinator and stayed in the post to his death. The activity of branches of this platform in a particular country is most noticeable in connection with Ukraine. In the Netherlands, this is a link with the disinformation special project Bonanza Media, created in 2019, which spread the version of Russia's non-involvement in the downing of the Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 and tried to present itself as a source of reliable case files for the corresponding trial. The online media outlet Bonanza Media was created by former Russia Today journalist Jana Yerlashova with the support of Dutch blogger and conspiracy theorist Max van der Werf, who is also a frequent guest on Russian TV channels, airing narratives about support for the DPR and LPR separatists. Bonanza Media managed to raise more than $23,000 in donations from allegedly unknown sponsors to shoot its propaganda documentaries. And GRPP platform organized screening of Bonanza Media's hybrid war masterpieces for the interested audience. At one of the platform events in The Hague in 2019, the film MH17, Call for Justice, was shown, according to which the Malaysia Airlines flight with 298 people on board had been shot down by a Ukrainian military aircraft and not a Russian anti-aircraft system. The fact that Bonanza Media, as well as actually TRPP, whose connection to the online media outlet is proven, receives so-called exclusive documents on the MH17 case and is funded by Russian military intelligence, is uh, subsidized by numerous journalistic investigations of European mainstream media. So, for example, the German Bild. In August of 2020, there was a leak of correspondence and telephone conversations between a Russian Bonanza media mastermind Yerlashova and the main directorate of the general staff of the armed forces of the Russian Federation, the GRU, including GRU colonel Chibanov. Yerlashova also agreed on texts of articles and media materials for the outlet's website with the GRU. She received announcements of events, in particular announcements of screening of fake documentaries from Olena Plotnikova, a Ukrainian pro-Kremlin activist from the Netherlands and a member of GRPP. 
After evidence of collaboration with Russia's intelligence services was exposed by the Bellingcat investigation in August 2020, Bonanza Media ceased to exist under the pretext of lack of funding. GRPP organized numerous screenings and showed Bonanza Media's documentary three times on a mobile screen in front of the court where the MH17 case was heard and when journalists and relatives of the victims were present in the courtroom. Global Rights for Peaceful People also illegally used the logo of the OSCE Office for Democratic Institutions and Human Rights at the invitation to one of the screenings in 2019 to give the event official semblance. GRPP's key coordinator, also known as Russian propagandist Sergei Marchel, was actively campaigning against Ukraine's association with the EU on the eve of the Dutch advisory referendum on EU-Ukraine association. Many Russian propaganda theses could be heard at the events with his participation, in particular that Ukraine was being integrated into the EU against its will, and about the coup d'etat on the Maidan, about the need to respect Russia's interests, and so on. Another of Marhel's propaganda mantras was, the Netherlands will save the EU from Putin's anger if the Dutch people suspend the association agreement with Ukraine. And, well, the results of this referendum are well known to all of us, actually. It should be noted, though, that the German office in GRPP plays the key role in the platform's activities. It is headed by Oleg Muzika, a former resident of Odessa and activist of the Primorsk branch of the pro-Russian Rodina party and the pro-Russian Kulikova pole movement, at the time of the 2nd of May 2014 events in Odessa. Muzika, a supporter of creation of the Odessa People's Republic, was detained on the 2nd of May. A few days after the police station had been stormed by anti-Maidan activists, he was released and left Ukraine. So a propaganda baptism for Muzika as a Russian propagandist was an exhibition of horrific photographs of charred victims of the trade union's house fire in Odessa, which was used virtually for the first time as an information attack on Ukraine. The victim of Ukrainian junta, well-funded by Russia, traveled with his photo exhibition to almost all European countries in 2014 and 2015 and settled in Germany. As a propagandist of separatism and an exposer of Kyiv junta, Muzika made his debut during public hearings on the tragic events in Odessa at the European Parliament in 2014. He often appeared in the Russian media with fables about atrocities of nationalists in Odessa. He was spotted in close ties with right-wing extremists and Kremlin-linked forces, including the Night Wolves. A fan of Putin Team Online and other Russian nationalist organizations on social media, Muzika often shoots right-wing demonstrations as an outside observer and then shows them on Russian TV as alleged evidence of European movements against the United States. Muzika often visits Moscow ostensibly as a tourist, but according to Bild data, he is kept on the hook by both German and Western intelligence services. According to security officials, Muzika acts on behalf of and is financed by Moscow, and his task is espionage and destabilization of Germany and Europe. And now the third story of today, 
a, a very recent, very relevant topic. We also spoke about it already last week, which is, of course, Belarus. And this piece is by Leonid Schwetz and is called Belarusization of East and Mobilization of West. So it's on the escalation of relations with the Union state and yeah, it requires a systematic reconsideration of Western countries' policies. The incident of the forced or deceptive landing of a Ryanair plane in Minsk in order to capture Belarusian uh, oppositionist Roman Pratasevich continues hitting the headlines. One by one, airlines refuse to fly over Belarus and to Belarus. Belavia also cancels its flights and the European Union prepares sanctions. Europe has reacted unusually quickly and unanimously in this episode of Alexander Lukashenko's savage violation of international norms, and we could witness a turning point in the West's relation with the Belarusian regime, behind which the Russian regime boldly stands. It would seem that the West has never had any illusions about the nature of power in Minsk. The third year of Lukashenko's presidency saw the European Union sanctions imposed in response to the 1996 referendum that allowed the president to prolong his tenure until 2001. In 1998, in response to a diplomatic war declared to ambassadors of the EU and other countries, the Belarusian authorities even ordered them to leave their residences in the village of Drozdy near Minsk, which was an unprecedented step. However, that incident did not seem to prevent settling the conflict and lifting the sanctions in 1999, just when, by the way, the disappearance of Belarusian opposition leaders and journalists began. Only in 2004 did several high-ranking officials involved in the crackdown on the opposition come under new European sanctions, and the list was later somewhat expanded. In 2004, the United States passed the Belarus Democracy Act, recognizing Lukashenko's responsibility for the disappearance of political opponents, the brutal suppression of peaceful protests, and the usurpation of power. Despite this, the West did not want to seriously damage relations with Lukashenko, although at that time he already earned the nickname Europe's Lost Dictator. The fact that another, much more dangerous dictator was gaining strength in Russia at the time did not occur to anyone, really. In 2006, the European Union reacted to the presidential election, which was held with significant violations, but suspended the new sanctions again in two years. The election situation was repeated in 2010. Lukashenko ordered the opposition to be severely and demonstratively punished. 600 protesters, including four of the six presidential candidates, were detained during a mass rally on the 19th of December. This led to the emergence of the Belarus Democracy and Human Rights Act, which imposed US sanctions. The EU, in return, expanded the list of Belarusian leaders and officials banned from entering the European Union and their accounts were frozen. In 2012, the number of persons and organizations under sanctions increased to 243 people and 29 legal entities. The year 2015 came and the EU again decided to forgive Lukashenko. The sanctions were suspended. So since 2016, the restrictive measures against only four people involved in the persecution of the opposition were in force. 
Against the background of Russian aggression in Ukraine, the president of Belarus already looked like a model of prudence and almost normalcy. Minsk became a venue of negotiations between the conflicting parties, and Lukashenko acted as a peacemaker. The fact that his regime had not changed at all did not affect the process of rehabilitation of the dictator in the international arena. The United States suspended sanctions against a number of companies. In 2020, for the first time in 12 years, full-fledged diplomatic relations between the two countries were restored. The U.S. ambassador arrived in Minsk. It was the same year when Alexander Lukashenko for the first time openly lost the election and, facing an unprecedented wave of protest, demonstrated his true qualities to the fullest, striking the world with brutality of crackdown on civilians and political opponents. It seems that Alexander Lukashenko lost any chance of minimal normalization of relations with the West after inhumane suppression of protests, imprisonment of opposition leaders and mass persecution of activists disloyal to the regime, exposure of a CIA plot to assassinate the president, detention of Belarusian oppositionist Yuri Zenkovich and Alexander Feduta in Moscow with the help of the Russian FSB, and bold interception of passenger plane with Raman Pratasevich on board, again, not without the participation of Russian special services. But Lukashenko does not want such a normalization, and the regime has left no room for mitigation. Ahead is only the growth of confrontation on the outside and the intensification of repression inside, the transition to a state of isolation and constant police mobilization. Moreover, Russia is an outspoken sponsor of such a somewhat new Belarus where the specter of the leader's legitimacy has disappeared and the regime relies solely on coercion and economic support from its partner in the Union state. And this partner is also moving further along the path of confrontation with the West and intensification of internal repressions, accelerating in turn all stages of Belarusization. The circumstances require that collective West provide not individual, albeit serious, reactions to what is happening in Belarus and the Union state as a whole. There is an urgent need to reconsider all US, EU and NATO policies on Europe's eastern flank. In fact, this was supposed to happen in 2014 after the annexation of Crimea and Russia's invasion of eastern Ukraine. But even the downing of the passenger's plane flight MH17 did not lead to a comprehensive reconsideration of relations with Russia, all the while there were people willing to understand Putin and give him a chance. Now that the activities of Russian secret agents involved in political assassinations and even military sabotage in European countries has become known, and the United States is constantly being the target of information and cyber attacks launched by Russia, there are also no illusions and hopes that some misunderstandings happened and relations still might be mended. Only a consistent, systematic, firm and decisive deterrence of the Union state can ensure an adequate level of protection for both Western institutions and fundamental democratic and liberal values. And so, in a situation of obvious escalation in the East, the role that Ukraine should play in the Western policy of deterrence is growing manifold. 
Indeed, well, our country is not yet formally a part of the West, but it must become such functionally as an outpost of the world of democracy and humanistic values. We have no options to stay outside the framework of this civilizational struggle. Ukraine has been at war for seven years already. So, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. This was yeah, a slightly different episode than usual, but of course next week we will be back for you and yeah, just present you with the latest and most important information you have to know what's going on in and outside of Ukraine. And as usual, if you want to read more articles, have more information as well, you can always visit promoteukraine.org or also visit our social media pages and follow us in case you don't, don't do that yet. And yeah. But for now, I wish you a wonderful start into the week and I'm going to see you next week with some fresh and new information.